Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that is at thecoachesnet. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, slight twist on tonight's conversation. Um, Still here for a, a Q&A discussion, I guess. Um, an opportunity to share views, share thoughts, share insights. But unfortunately, Gerard is not able to be with us this evening. Um, so we've got a special guest co-host, um, Tony. Tony, I don't know if you want to give a brief intro around who you are and what you do, and then we can kind of go from there. Um, okay, so uh, 20 years working in academy football after leaving the army 
uh, served a full career in the army, 23 years as a phys- mainly as a physical training instructor. Uh, gained all my uh, my badges under the old system, half badge, full badge. Converted to UA for A license, 98. Worked for the FA for 15 years as a tutor. Um, I've worked at Rotherham United across all the phases. Uh, from foundation phase right up to uh, helping out run the reserve team. Academy manager at York City for a a brief uh, and colourful spell. Um, And then Doncaster Rovers and Scunthorpe United. Uh, Back to Doncaster Rovers, mainly working with the the YDP age groups, uh, but obviously digging in with the under-18s from time to time. Recently uh, packed that in uh, a few circumstances uh, circumstances um but i'm now a, sort of a full-time carer for for a disabled wife uh but a part-time coach with um with a local private academy uh, that's where i am at the minute amazing i really appreciate that time um lots of experiences there i think there's a, there's a great opportunity for some of the listeners here tonight to kind of delve into some of that um, and guys, just again, a brief one for myself. You know, my name's Yas, um, similar to Tony, several years of experience. Not as many years, but um, a range of experiences nonetheless. Um, spent most of the most of my most of recent years working in as a coach developer, working across different uh, qualifications uh, for, the, for the regional and county FAs. Um, so, yeah, you know, we're hoping we get a good insight around tonight's conversation. And, you know, just to give a bit of context, um, each week a question has been put to myself. Um, around different coaching matters and this week's one is around pre-season and uh, the question more specifically is where should my focus lie within pre-season so turn I'll, I'll start by opening that question up to you yeah I think that what we have a tendency to to do uh, perhaps on this group as well as, uh, as several others is we kind of all think that we're coming at it from the same direction and you know what suits uh, what suits me as a pro club academy coach, and what might suit me as a grassroots coach, um, or even a, a senior men's or, or ladies team coach are completely different things. So, what I might do in terms of pre-season training with academy players would be completely different. If I were working, let's say, with a, I don't know, step three, step four, step five men's open age team. So everybody within the group uh, should have a different take on it, I guess. Um, whether you work completely with uh, with the ball, whether you do pre-season without the ball, whether some people feel that that is old-fashioned. I've certainly got... Um, a few ideas around that uh, uh, and why I would still do what some people might consider uh, the old school type training, depending on uh, which particular group that I was working with at the time. So yeah, this, there's certainly scope for more than one, you know, the, the old saying there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. I think definitely context is key. Uh, Recognising the environment you're in and what the environment might actually need. But, you know, this this, this is kind of one 
there's, you know, there's been a recent, there's been a recent event, hasn't there, with the, with the Spurs guys? You know, you're talking there about first team level, especially at professional level, where you've got the fitness coaches getting the players doing fifty or sixty odd uh, laps or sixty or sixty odd lengths of a full full pitch um, full pitch sprint, if you like. You know, obviously there's a time and a place for certain things, but there's obviously exceptions that you might look at and think, right, that might be a bit ex- ex- excessive. So maybe maybe we can start off by trying to define maybe some universal things that we might want to consider within a preseason, um, and then maybe talk about some of the finer finer detail around that. Um, but what you know, to start, what what are your thoughts on that whole thing that's happened with Spurs recently and and, and their fitness coach getting them doing all those laps? Well. I, again, I, I saw the tweet um, and I watched some of the uh, some of the video that that got posted. And you, I say you, I guess you have to you if you're going to employ experts on multi thousand pounds per year, you have to trust that they know what they're doing. Um, that there's a reason behind everything. The danger for the casual coach is that they go, oh, look, look at what Spurs are doing. Look, there's Harry Kane throwing up at the side of the pitch. That's what I'm going to do with my under-13s tonight. So I think you, you know, you've already mentioned it, that context is key. You know That was quite early on in their pre-season programme. But if you're going to pay someone that amount of money, you need to, I guess, trust. You know, Without us getting that guy... In charge of that session on this on this call, we we won't really know what the the entire background to that is. No, I totally agree with you. And I think you know just having that rationale and the understanding as to why things are happening, I think it's such a great point that we kind of try and encourage in every conversation we have. You know, if you're seeing something or if you're doing something, really, un- really try and understand the reasons behind it. Don't just be doing something for the sake of doing it or because you've seen someone else on on social media or on YouTube or wherever it may be has done it. And it looks, might might be engaging. It looks like it might be, you know, effective. But actually, without knowing the mechanics behind it, if it doesn't become engaging and effective, you'll never know where to kind of put it right. So kind of, you know, on, on there, you know, we did too, you know, we've obviously mentioned there a couple of times already between us that context is very key in terms of pre-season and whatnot. What would you say are some general principles for people to maybe consider within pre-season? And then obviously, you know, the, the, I guess the variables that they kind of, they might have to adapt and adjust around to suit the needs of their own individuals. You know, what would you say those key kind of pillars are within a pre-season programme, if you like? So, again, if you're working with older players, so I'm talking now YDP, so under 13s and up, um, I would be looking at trying to build a decent aerobic base initially. Uh, you know, you shouldn't be bringing your kids back in and doing double sessions, triple sessions straight away. Uh, if you're going to build an aerobic base, it's going to take time. You need to understand what aerobic means, what what are the demands of the game around that. Um, and then the closer you get to your... Uh, you know your day one your season kicking off then uh working doing some building in some anaerobic training some flat out sprint stuff but again i I go back to 
you know, my pre- my previous life as a as a physical training instructor, um, and and I would always add the caveat that a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing because, you know, I'm I'm not going to use the word guilty, but I I will tweet out um, preseason stuff at the drop of a hat if people are asking for it, um, but I am doing that on the basis that I'm going to trust your judgment to know what to use, what is appropriate for the aging stage of training, for the aging stage of learning, for the aging stage and development of your players. You know, don't just go, right, well, here's 20 pre-season sessions. We're going to do number one first and just keep going until we get to number 20. I think it's a great point because that's what a lot of people do do. And I think, you know, you're talking there about trusting people's judgment around it. I mean... There's a lot of coaches, obviously, you know, tuning into this and that's tuned into this, you know, this space before, and you know, hopefully, we'll, we'll be following some of our content in different ways. But that's the real key piece in that, you know, we all have to have an understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it in terms of the context that we're in. But I think you make a great point about, you know, starting off with the basic aerobic base because I think for a lot of coaches you know, the conversation often then comes back to, well, we've got limited contact time, let's try and spend more time on the ball. Um, but I think one of the key things that's really kind of coming out from what we're saying here is actually understanding what what, what stage of the journey are the players in. Are they in, are they in first-team environments? You know, what are they in a full-time environment, in fact? Or, or are they quite simply in a grassroots environment where they might only train once a week. And I think it kind of it kind of links back into one of the things we spoke of about a few weeks ago around the off-season piece and whether it's actually an off-season. If it is off-season, let's, let's distinguish the difference between an off-season, a pre-season and an end-season, if that makes sense. Um, because, you know, there, we can be guilty of overworking players, whether that be physically, whether that be spending too much time working on the ball. And, you know, as much as we want them to have ball contact time, it might not always be the best thing for them. And our, you know, we have to use our observations and our experiences to understand where that might, where they might sit on that exposure to each aspect of the program. So, in terms of the preseason stuff, you talked there about, you know, building that aerobic base. How how would you go about doing that, Tony? Because obviously, there's a lot of discussions at the moment. And there's a bit, you know, there's a massive conversation around whether the ball should be related in 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 kind of these fitness based exercises or these exercises where you're trying to build the intensity and build the dynamic aspect of the players. Should there should there not be a ball in your opinion? Yeah, so over the last what probably five years, I'm gonna say that we used the ball probably eighty percent of the time in in preseason. The providing you understand the concept of size and space uh, related to the numbers that you've got related to the amount of time you've got and the amount of time that you work them for, you can do aerobic work within the game of football. So whether that be disguising it or hiding it, whatever way you want to, you want to call it with, I, I've got a session, which I always find quite popular with the lads after they've done it. Um, which is like a crossing and finishing session, but actually it's just disguised running. It's it's anaerobic based. Um, it's position specific. So we have wide players in wide areas. We have strikers making runs centrally to get in the box. We have midfield players making supporting runs from further back than the strikers would start. So actually 
the distances that they all run are are fairly relative um, and it's all in relation to a goal um, you can do the same with uh, with aerobic work with the size of the pitch um, there was something I tweeted out yesterday um, someone had, had some other, I just jumped on a conversation that was going on with other coaches about um, about a session involving if the ball goes out of play, that make sure that the team that go to retrieve the ball are the team that kicked it out. So I I, I showed a session there where I use something similar. So every every ten yards there's a cone down the side of the pitch, and on every cone there's a ball. So not only has the team that kicked the ball out got to go and retrieve the ball. His teammates are, play, are now playing numbers down. They've got a the, the team who would have won the throw in um, can restart with any other ball. So the ball that gets retrieved has to be put back on the empty cone. So the, there's lots and lots of um, fitness returns, but there's also football returns from it playing outnumbered, playing numbers up. So it just needs a little bit of imagination, a little bit of creativity, but you can do so much work with the ball. Yeah, I think you're spot on. It just kind of really sparked my thoughts around some of the things that I've done in the past, in particular, where, you know, you might put certain conditions or, you know, as you've talked about there, the way they have, you know, there's a certain place they have to replace the ball with, um, or replace the ball at, rather, to kind of generate different outcomes. You know, one of my favourite ones is, you know, if you're playing a small side of game in particular, right, in order for in order for the goal to count, for instance, everyone has to be in the opposition half when it goes in, but when you score, you have to retreat into your own half to start the practice again. Just simple things like that. You know that you're going to get some of the returns in terms of, the, you know, the, the, the appropriate distances or whether they are sprinting, whether they're not sprinting, but in terms of raising the intensity in particular, and I think there's definitely some clever ways in which you can manipulate your practices by putting certain constraints or conditions on them to generate different outcomes. And it's not always leading to necessarily a technical outcome. So now I think some great stuff there, Tone. Guys, I just want to take a brief moment just to kind of, you know, um, just recap, you know, why we're here, what we're doing, and, and, and hopefully try and get some more support in terms of building and growing this network. So every week myself um, and usually who would be my co-host, uh, Gerard Jones, are here each week. This week, Tony's um, stepped in for Gerard very kindly. Um, and, you know, Tony's always been involved in some great conversations, great insights from Tony himself. Um, but each week we hold a Twitter space on a Sunday evening um, based on questions that have been put to us around different coaching matters. Um, so this week's conversations around pre-season and the focus of, you know, focus of pre-season and what that potentially should or could look like. Um, so if you've got any thoughts around tonight's topic or you've got any questions that you want us to kind of take forward in future conversations, please feel free to let us know. Make sure you're following myself. Make sure you're following Tony. Um, and please join us each week. And guys, you know, if anyone's got anything they want to add to any, anything that myself and Tony have said tonight, please feel free to jump in and um, share your views, thoughts and experiences. So Tony, just before we kind of, you know, crack on really, or rather just before we get anyone else involved, if, if, if at all they're interested, Maybe just um, you know, obviously you've been you've been coaching for a long time now, you know, twenty odd years, as you, as you said. What would you say are some of the major things that you know have changed in the way you approach the preseason? Because obviously, you know, things have changed massively. Well, certainly for me in the last twelve years since I started coaching, so I can only imagine there are probably even bigger changes since you started coaching. What were some of the things that maybe you used to do back in the day that you wouldn't even consider doing now? Um, and, you know, and where did those influences come from? 
I guess like like most people, um, your influences come from what was done with you when you were a player. Um, so the, I guess the, the biggest thing that you kind of really don't see that much anymore would be things like the like the pre-season cross-country runs. Um, going back to probably now 1986, I think it was, I was based out in Germany and Wimbledon, the old AFC, uh, the old Wimbledon had just got promoted to um, what was then the first division. And uh, they came out to stay with us in in Germany for a week. And I uh, I used to come into camp at, I was married and, and living off base at the time, but I used to come into camp at six o'clock in the morning, take them out for a cross-country run through the woods, use the, uh, out in Germany, they have a lot of um, fitness-type equipment, uh, gym-type equipment in the woods. They call them trim trails. You know, we'd take them on a cross-country run, we'd hit the trim trail, do some exercises in the woods, get them back to camp. They'd then come back into camp, have breakfast, shower, all the rest of it. They'd then do another session uh, mid-morning, which might be uh, a ball work type session, usually finishing with a game. And then they might even do another session in the afternoon. So doing that, that type of thing, particularly early on in training, the two and three sessions a day thing, I think people have got a much better handle on now because the idea is to arrive at game one with as many of your players in as physically peak condition as you can. You know, you shouldn't be proud of the fact that half of your squad have got injured in pre-season or, you know, your first two sessions, you've got 10 players throwing up on the side of the pitch. That doesn't really benefit anybody. And, you know, I think we are seeing less and less of that. I think it's another great point. But do, do you think that things have, obviously, you know, we've had the introduction of how, you know, sports science in particular has had a massive impact on on things like that over the last kind of decades, but especially, but do you think that as people started to maybe look into some, you know, sports science elements or different aspects or try to change what was considered to be the norm, it it left people in a position where they, they felt they needed to change too? Because obviously, you know, like like you said, you know, the, some of these people, if we use the guy as first as an example, he's doing basically those cross-country runs. He might not be in the cross-country setting, but he's doing those long sprints, those you know, those, those extended distance sprints, and, you know, he might be trying to build endurance or whatever it is that he's working on. But do you think because people started adding different elements into what they were doing, moving away from that quote-unquote traditional approach or old-school approach, that people have often maybe over, over, overlooked on the value that that can bring as well? Yeah, there's there's definitely um, an element of, oh, well, so-and-so used to do that. You know, where are they now? So let's move on from it. I, I, I think that there there is value in all different kinds of training um, and some of the benefits that you get from them aren't necessarily physical. You know, if you take, uh, I remember years ago when I was part of a boxing squad, uh, not long after I joined the army, um, and I was really fit at the time. And, and the boxing officer, who was an old guy, very, very experienced uh, in what he did, he wanted to take us out for a walk one day. And uh, 
I kind of bristled at that a little bit. No, no, I'd rather go for a run or I'll stop and do some stuff in the gym. This guy clipped me around the ear and, you know, it was one of these things where there's more to it than those physical returns. You shouldn't dismiss the the, the social returns, um, the resilience side of it, the fact that you can be open to um, to other elements of training from whether it's from a different sport or you know going swimming you get, there's there's massive returns that can be gained but at the same time you still can't you don't want to be neglecting the actual physical demands of the game that you're about to play no i, I think you're spotting there's so many different approaches that we can take and obviously they do have different returns but I guess the one thing I really want coaches to consider is, well, no, what is the return that you're looking for if it is pre-season? And it kind of links back into the topic of the conversation, really, in terms of what you should focus on. I think for me, there's, you know, there's a couple of key things. First of all, first and foremost, is actually getting the players engaged. You know, get the players engaged because, you know, they've been off. They've probably had a break. You want to kind of re, re, you know, regain their focus on what they're doing. You can't expect all the players, all the athletes in this case, and to show up on day one and be ready to go. Sometimes they, some of them will, some of them won't. And as you talked about there, some of these activities or different exercises or, or things that you include within your program might be opportunities to build that resilience, to build that social element, to get some of the people back on track. So I think, that, you know, for me, one that's one of the first things. Secondly, is looking at, the you know, the thing that we often have mentioned in recent conversations. Yes, you've got a group of players. Yes, it is pre-season. There is a focus, but there's also individuals within that. So looking at understanding not every individual is going to take well to every type of exercise or practice is interesting. I was um, having a conversation yesterday with a guy that was, that's been the Shamrock Rovers uh, first team fitness coach for the last six or seven years. And one thing that he said to me was in the first kind of four weeks, they don't do any work with the ball. They don't necessarily just go for long to long, um, long distance sprints or anything like that, but the emphasis is just like you like you talked about, getting them back to peak condition. And once they get back to a, a quote-unquote peak condition, then they can start bringing the balls up. But it's almost that give or take. Because, you know, without you almost tease them a little bit by not having the ball around. So by the time the balls come out, they're raring to go. And you've kind of, you've got a different edge there as well. So it's not just the physical outcome, but it's also that that resilience, that that commitment, that, that dedication piece. So I guess, you know, for, for you, what are some of the key, you know, I know that we can say that it's contextualised and it's, it's, uh, it depends on the environment you're working on and the people in front of you, but are there some universal things that you kind of look to kind of uh, get out from your pre-seasons? And is there a particular, you know, order of priority in which you try and knock those down, if you like? Yeah, I think it just goes back to, to what I was saying before, it, developing that aerobic base, then um, start to embed the the principles of our play into into the the preseason training regime. So that you know we can still work on principles of play with uh, within small sided games, for example, uh, and that might come down to uh, different individual challenges, one v one attacking, one v one defending, that kind of thing, uh, working outnumbered. Whatever, whatever sort of sessions that that you want to put on, you can look at 
developing that aerobic base, developing their football sharpness. And as, as you get closer to the season starting, actually working on the tactical stuff that you want to do. Because um, certainly the last few years where, where we've been working in academy football, we, we, we don't have a fixed formation. Uh, across the full season, we we played. We tried to give the boys uh, as broad an experience as possible. So we might start with a back four for twelve weeks, but then after that, we're going to switch to a back three. Now we would do a lot of shape work within our pre-season stuff that is based around the first formation. So that we were going to play. So if we were going to play four diamond two, for example a lot of our pre-season work would be based around that. So the players are going to do exercises within their positions that give them the returns that we need, that the demands of the game are going to place on them, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's really what you're telling me there is it's making relevance to all the players in their individual positions based on the environment or the challenge that they're expected to face when it comes to playing the games that they're going to play across the course of the next, you know, eight to nine months, if you like. So I think it is really making it kind of bespoke in that respect. Just, you know, just a kind of a final one before we try and get more people involved in terms of the sharing their views. Is there any things that you'd say to coaches that, are an absolute no-no when it comes to pre-season? Um, I think the, the only thing I would say that uh, along those lines is, you know, go back to the old, the old medical saying, do no harm. What you, I've already mentioned it, that you, you know, you're trying to arrive at, at, at game one with as many players as possible in the best condition to give you a, a flying start to the season. So, you know, would I rule anything out? I can't think of anything off the top of my head where I'd say, no, well, I definitely wouldn't do that. But at the back of my, uh, you know, at the back of my thinking, maybe even at the forefront of my thinking is do no harm. I totally agree with that. I think it's just really taking each consideration one step at a time, making sure that everything you're doing is relevant, is, is appropriate for the players that have got in front of you. So, you know, if we, even if we look back into the times of exercise that we're doing, those long-term sprints, are they relevant for a kid who might be nine years old? Probably not. They might be more relevant for a first-team player looking to get themselves back to peak condition going into a Premier League season, as an example. So, you know, that, that piece is really key, recognising the level that you're working at. Um, now, I really appreciate your thoughts here, Tom. Um, Guys, obviously, you know, just kind of a quick recap. You know, we're here every week, um, every Sunday, pretty much, um, hosting a space to support each other, networking, growing, learning, and getting better at what we do in this thing what we call coaching. So, you know, feel free to get in touch. Let us know your views. Um, this week's conversation was around um, pre-season and what the focus should be. And each week we take conversations uh, around questions that have been put to us um, around all coaching matters, really. Um, so guys feel free to you know, share your views on anything myself and Tony have kind of dropped in tonight um, and let us know your thoughts um, we've got Yasser and uh, Johnny Yes, do you want to go first? don't know if you've got any questions around anything that's been said or you know, just want to maybe share some insights around what, you're, what you tend to focus on in your preseason. yeah um, I think um, 
yeah, I do, I, the way I, that I look at it, whenever I'm doing anything kind of coaching-wise, because um, you've got effectively, coaching is, is all about you've got several different objectives and you've got to find the best outcome. So you see, I, I, I study economics, right? And um, this might sound stupid, right? But, but um, so, so you think about where is the most, most satisfaction going to come from? If I'm going to a chicken shop and I've got six pounds, am I going to buy six bags of chips? No, I'm going to enjoy myself much more if, if I have, a, you know, maybe two bags of chips. I'm going to buy a drink, a burger, a slice of pizza. And, you know, I'm going to enjoy myself much more if I, if I, if I have a, um, the right balance of everything, not, not just, just, you know, six chips. So I think in the same way here, when it comes to preseason, you've got several objectives. You've got your physical uh, demands, but you've also got, you want to develop your players technically. You need to establish tactical coordination in the team, right? You, you want to build chemistry. Players need to build chemistry without any tactical code, without you telling them what to do. They need to understand each other. Also, you need to build the spirit and build a culture as well uh, of, of excitement and enjoyment. So you've got to, you, I think if you're just looking at hitting one of those markers, but, you know, like if I'm just taking over a team, if I'm just all about fitness for four weeks and I've not worked on tactical coordination, I'm not going to get my team that far. If I've worked on okay a bit of fitness, maybe instead of working on getting players running 10 kilometers a week, if I can get them running seven and a half kilometers a week, uh, getting them working on tactical in a system, understanding what they're doing, but also they're enjoying themselves to create a spirit, the gains, the benefit to the team is going to be much greater than if I just focused on that one thing. Now with Conte, he has had time to build the culture that he wants. He has time had time to uh, establish the coordination that he wants. For him, what is it now? You know, it's it's fitness because it's preseason. That's that's for him. For him, if he was to just do a lot of fitness, that might genuinely be where all the gains are because he's maxed out the tactical gains, the the uh, the, the the culture gains. So I think that's the way you've got to look at it. Yes, you made some great points. I want to come on to them. But first of all, where are you getting your chicken and chips for? Are you I getting knew someone was going to say pounds? that. How are you getting that much food for six, man? It, 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 can't, it can't be chicken. It cannot be chicken, man. But no, some fantastic points that yes. Um, you, know, you talk about having that, essentially having a good blend and a balance of, of everything. And I think you made a fantastic point there. You know, you, you, you might recognise at some point, you know what, we've got as many things as we've got, as, as, we, you know, as, as much juice to squeeze out the orange on this particular aspect at this point in time. So can we direct our attention to elsewhere? And I think, I think that's a great way to look at it. It's, it's, it's actually constantly observing, assessing, right, what are, the, what are the outcomes that we're trying to achieve? And when we get there, yes, there's always going to be a next level. But in terms of the goals that we've set ourselves, have we achieved the goals that we've set for us at this point in time? So, you know, using your analogy, you know, you talk about culture, team spirit, you know, tactical games and fitness games, and, right? Where does that? Where do we? Where do we sit in terms of our planning and our and our goals for what our targets are for culture? What does that look like to be successful and have achieved um, a particular aspect of that culture um, outcome? If you like, by the end of week three and preseason, what does that look like at week six? And what does that look like at week nine? And it might be that you know you you hit some of those goals earlier than others, and then you now you can turn your attention to one of the other goals, maybe be a bit more specific and focus around that. And you know the way the way I like to look at it is almost having it as a uh, a sniper approach rather than a shotgun approach because you know once you hit the shotgun those bullets can spray anywhere and everywhere 
sniper approach. Let's focus down on what we're doing. Let's see what we're trying to get out of the session. Let's see what we're trying to get out of this week or this month, maybe. And let's hit those nails on their head, if you make, if, if that makes any sense. Nice. It's a great point, yes. And I really appreciate your thoughts on that, man. Cheers, yeah. Johnny, talk to us, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, boys. I'm good. I, I just love pre-season, man. It's... I hate the word fitness in pre-season. From, say, under-14s, under-15s and below, it should be fall back in love with it. It, it. You know, kids might have a few weeks away from it. You've got to fall back in love with pre-season. You've got to get the balls out, you get the games out, and you just let them play. Uh, if you move on to first-team level, I, I know numerous first teams where, the, you know, once you get to men's football, you just want to get the aerobic stuff in, like Tony touched on. That's fine. Get, get the aerobic stuff put in. But if you're under 14s and under 15s, the question says, what should I focus on? For me, the boys have got to fall back in love with football. I don't know what you take on that, but that's what it is for me. I mean, it's, a, it's a great point, um, but it also touches a little bit on something we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, where I, I still don't think that we're giving kids enough time to fall out of love with football you know I'm seeing one or two people who are um, you know the the tournament season if you like and and I'm talking about you know in in the UK now the tournament season is only just finishing they they barely get a week off and they're straight back onto some form of pre-season but you know your point's a good one and as as I touched on earlier on for the last few years, the we've probably done the only running without a ball we would have done in pre-season um, has been if we're doing some physical testing, uh, and I guess that's another aspect of uh, of pre-season training that that we haven't really spoken about. Um, and as you know, as somebody who's been forced to do more bleep tests than some of you could possibly imagine being an ex-serviceman i'm just going to tell you now and put it out there for for discussion for thought it is the worst test ever it is the easiest test to cheat on when you know that somebody's going to test you again in a few weeks to see if you've improved so just consign that one to the uh, to the dustbin of history for me I think you're spot on, Tony. And Johnny, I think it is a great point. I think, but Tony, you're right. You know, it's something we talked about earlier. I think it's really establishing when does that off-season piece come into it. If it is off-season, is it actually off? What does it just switch its focus from being the league season to the tournament, tournament season? You know, you talk there. I know, I know teams that are, you know, you talk there about the tournament season coming to an end, if you like. I know teams that are starting tournaments next week and the week after, and they're kind of just going through the year. And I think, you know, it, it is about finding the right balance. You know, for a lot of these kids, sometimes they might not even have another environment to go into. So football is all they have, and you know, depending on what they're, what they're, what they've got access to, um, you know, what what the financial status is, there might be a real factor in, in that as well. So I think it's something to consider. But no, two great points there, both myself and um, Johnny and Tony. But I think you know, the, you know, I think the real key thing for me is um, really just making sure that we're doing what we feel is necessary for the players in the moment that they're in. So some players might come back to pre-season and first piece of Johnny might be getting into full back in love with the game. It might be that, you know, some of these players haven't seen each other for, for a few weeks or whatever. So can, can we just build that social element? 
and, and you know, look, taking into consideration what Yasser was saying there about, you know, having a blend and a balance of different things, looking at the outcomes that we want to achieve for the group that's in front of us and seeing, right, what, what do we prioritise? Are there things that we can interlink and kind of get a blend of in both, um, both in one type of activity, exercise, practice? Does pre-season always mean that it has to be work on the pitch or could it be an activity away from the pitch to kind of meet some of these outcomes as well? Johnny, if you see you've got your hand up there, go and talk to me now. Yeah, thank you, Yaz. I think there's always a part from, from the coach's element. I don't know about anyone else. You guys can touch on it. But I feel like you have to be seen to do something that looks like pre-season. So maybe it's, uh, you know, 20, 10 sprints, you know, 20 metres, 10 seconds, recovery, eight reps, something along those lines. But I feel like sometimes from the parent sideline, don't know if you guys love to hear it, but sometimes you have to make it look like pre-season from a first team's perspective. What do you guys think? I think it's a great point, uh, John. And in fact, you know, I, I sat in on a parents evening, if you like, a couple of nights ago um, for a club that I'm supporting. And I think one of the key things I kind of had in my mind going into that, some of these expectations that parents might have, it might be, as Tony said earlier, some of the things that they've been exposed to as players or they've, um, they've been exposed to as parents with their children at previous clubs or in other environments. I think a large part of this is understanding why you're going to do what you're doing. And it shouldn't be for the. It shouldn't be to satisfy the parents' uh, parents' needs or the parents' wants. I think it should be part of the role of the coach and the organisation that you're working to educate the parents around different ways of working and different ways of how things could look and the benefits that come with that. And I think in line with that, also educate and support the players. And I think, you know, I don't know about you guys, but me in particular, no one's ever going to get me to do something, uh, you know, blindly. You're going to have to explain to me exactly why I'm doing it and what the benefit is. Otherwise, I am not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. And even if I did do it the first first time, if I don't see the benefit of it while I'm doing it, I'm probably not going to do it again. So I think it's, it's education is a key piece here. And like I said, it's using that pre-season time or any contact time you have, whether that be with parents, players, or whoever that might be, to really support them, educate them, and, and give them some insight around, right, why are we working the way we're working, what are we trying to achieve, and what are the priorities that are for, for us as an organisation at this point in time. So no, I really appreciate the question and, and the thoughts there, John. I really, really appreciate that, man. Mark, you've come up. Talk to us, man. Well, I think Mark ran away. Yeah, I think Mark changed. He started his pre-season. Go on, Tom. One of the things that it's great for those that, that are sort of regularly tuning into these spaces events um, is that you just brought up a really good point, which we talked again, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about educating the spectators slash parents um, as much as we're trying to educate each other, as much as we're trying to educate the players. You know, we're doing this because we might be doing this because don't expect to see lots of kids running around without a ball at 13 years of age because we can get the same benefits playing small-sided games with a ball. Um, and the, there's some pretty dangerous assumptions that, that parents will have in their head about what pre-season looks like. The other thing that we, we've kind of touched on it, but nobody's actually mentioned it outright, is that not every player that turns up for pre-season is going to have been there the year before. So you'll have trialists, new players, 
people that have moved to the area, uh, people who are just trying out different clubs before they make a commitment, depending on, uh, on, on what age they are. So there's a lot to, to take in. So the, those, those people, those new people, want to know that what they're getting into is well thought out, professionally run as much as possible, uh, is well organised and has a benefit for them as as players. No, you're spot on. Just, just kind of referring back to this environment I'm supporting at the moment. New club started out, you know, and they've got a whole bunch of new players in. You know, one of the key things is, oh, it's a new environment, so people don't know what to expect. And I think it's about, again, coming back to what Yasser was saying about setting that culture, setting that, setting the expectations around. And that's really the real key priority in the first few weeks, especially as a new organisation. But obviously, somewhere that's been a bit more established. Um, and it's been around for a little while where players have been there for a longer period of time. You know, your focuses can be different uh, depending on the makeup of the group that's in front of you. So, no, I think it's a great, great point there, Tony. Um, but, yeah, no, guys, just want a quick, quick, quick recap. You know, we are here each week, every Sunday, um, sharing coaching conversations around different questions that have been put to myself um, on, on, on any coaching matter, really. And if you've got a question or if you've got a topic that you'd like to hear discussed on the show, please do let us know. Uh, make sure you're following myself. Make sure you're following Tony and the other guys in the room. Because what we're here, we're here to do is network, grow, learn, and help each other get better at what we do in this thing that we call coaching. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of insights been shared tonight. I don't know if anyone's got any other questions or any any experiences they want to share with us around their own pre-season approaches and some of the past experiences they've had. But that you know, if, if not, then now might be a good time just to kind of wrap up. Um, Tony, I just want to say a massive thank you to you, obviously, you know, for stepping in on Gerard's behalf. Um, so, guys, please make sure you're following Tony. Please make sure you follow myself and the others in the group as well. And if anyone hasn't got anything else to add at this point in time, you know, I think it's time to, I guess, wish everyone a good evening, a great rest of the weekend, um, and look forward to seeing you next week. And, guys, of course, if you've got any questions, please feel free to drop us a DM, let us know your thoughts. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Yasser, for your, your contributions. Much appreciated. Take care, guys. Look after yourselves, guys. Cheers, guys. I'm going to the chicken shop. <laughs> Get Love the it. Love it. The sun's coming. <laughs> Take care, guys. Have a great evening. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.